0: You're listening to Comedy Central. Tiger King is back. You heard this? Don't woo. There's no woo. There's no, Tiger King's not a woo. I don't like, I saw this like online. Netflix was like, Tiger King, season two. I was like, okay, first of all, I thought it was a documentary. I don't know how there's a season two of crazy people abusing tigers. Cause now I feel like at this point we're paying them to do it. Do you know what I mean? Because before it was just, they had footage of these people doing terrible things. And now they're going to pay them. Because now these people know that they're going to be like stars of the thing. And now I feel like they're going to be worse. They were already shitty to these big cats. Now they're doing it because they're stars of season two. Like I preferred it before when they were like just abusing tigers for the love of the game. Do you know what I mean? (laughs) Now there's like an added element of shittiness to it. Like it's just, I'm like, what are are we doing? Also like who's watching? Are you going to go and watch Tiger King now? Like, I don't know about you. The only reason I watched it is because it coincided with a pandemic that shut down the world. Yeah, I didn't sit down at my TV and be like, yeah, you know what I wanna watch today? I feel like watching a show about terrible people who are abusing animals. That's what I feel, I don't, I don't feel like watching that. I was just stuck at home and I had two choices. I can go and punch an old lady in the street for Lysol wipes or I can stay home and watch Tiger King. Then I was like, I'm gonna stay home and watch Tiger King. Now Tiger King is back. And I'm like, no, I'm just gonna go out and punch an old lady for Lysol wipes. <laughs> She's had enough time to get them. I mean, now it's time to fight is what I'm saying. Now it's like a fair fight. Do you know what I mean? Before it was a surprise. Now it's like you you just hugging them.
1: Coming
2: to you from the heart of Times Square in New York City, the only city in America, it's The Daily Show, ears edition. Tonight, why Amazon might finally start paying taxes. Texas starts snitching. And Diego Bonetta. This
0: is The Daily Show with Trevor Noah. Well, hello. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to The Daily Show. I'm Trevor Noah, and joining me on today's episode is our very own Dulce Sloan. What's going on, Dulce?
3: Well, you know, I'm just out here staying black, staying gifted, staying blessed.
0: (laughs) Yeah, you you look all of those things.
3: Thank you so much. Nice
0: to see you again. That's a nice color on you, by the way.
3: Thank you. I think this was the theme. Uh, uh, Yeah, it sort
0: of matches mine. It's like like the, the night and day version of like, you know, you know, like on like your phone, how you can choose night mode, day mode?
3: Ah, it is interesting, because you think that you would be the night mode of me? With my top? Yes.
0: Well, um, I'm gonna have fun doing this <laughs> Welcome to it. Let's jump straight into the headlines. We kick things off with Halloween, or as pumpkins call it, genocide. Everyone has their favorite thing about Halloween. For some people, it's the candy. For some, it's watching horror movies. For others, it's that Family Matters episode where Steve Urkel a ghost. Oh, uh, did I do that? <laughs> yes, Steve, you did. And it was disgusting. <laughs> Personally, my favorite thing is the urban legends. You know, the rumors about razor blades and apples or kids being kidnapped off the streets or, or, oh one of the most popular ones, how crazy hippies are lacing candy with drugs. Well, in 2021, that story has taken a whole new twist
4: check your kid's candy bucket or bag after they go trick or treating. Law enforcement across the country have been warning about edibles that look like snacks. For example, at first glance, this looks like a stuffed Oreo or double stuffed Oreo, but it's actually a double stuffed Stonio.
3: Stony Patch, Warheads, Trips Ahoy, products meant to mirror legal food products but containing THC.
2: Experts warn if a child got their hands on these, they could potentially overdose due to the high concentration of THC. Oh, boy, people
0: might be handing out treats with weed in them. I mean, forget full-size candy bars. There's a new coolest house on the block, people. And if someone really is giving edibles to kids, that is cruel. You're giving edibles to children? Do you know what's gonna happen to them? Those kids are gonna go home. They're gonna eat an edible, and then they're gonna spend the next three hours asking, is it hitting yet? Should I take another one? I don't feel high, do I look high? We shouldn't be putting kids through that. No, but for real though, um, I think this story sounds like trash to me. It sounds like bullshit. Like nobody's gonna waste good edibles giving them out to kids. And even if a kid did get an edible by accident, they would realize it on the first bite. Cause let's be honest, like if you've ever eaten an edible, you know anything that's candy that's laced with weed, it always tastes a little bit like a tree took a shit. You know? And also if your kid did eat an edible, would you even be able to tell People are stressed out, my kid might have eaten. Kids already act like they're stoned all the time. Always asking questions like, where did I come from? Why is the sky blue? Can I have ice cream for breakfast? If that isn't stoner behavior, I don't know what is. I think people are stressing too much. Like, do you
3: think this is a thing? You've grown up in America, is this a thing you think? They've been telling us since we were kids, they're like, somebody's gonna hand you drugs. But if you're a kid who ever saw an adult with drugs, they never tried to give them to you. Also, if you're an adult who paid for stonios or all these other things, the first thing you're going to do is make sure you don't lose them. Because it's like, my drugs, my precious drugs. Right. That's not how people with drugs work. The thing you should be worried about is stoned people having tiny people come to their house dressed like little tiny things. (laughs) If I'm high, the last thing I need in my house is finding Nemo, Woody, and a tiny cop. (laughs) That's the problem. You want to get to people's house first and be like, sir, are you stoned? Because I, bu- I got three kids out here dressed like Albert and the Chipmunks and I don't need you, f- don't need you flipping out. <laughs> That's what you need to worry about is high people and kids in costumes, not them giving them their drugs. That's
0: the real danger. Anyway, let's move on to our next story, which is about Congress. You know, it's what you get when you order your democracy off of wish.com. Now, it looks like Democrats are close to a breakthrough on the Build Back Better bill. And this is the legislation that would try to solve some of America's most pressing problems from climate change to child poverty to getting Issa and Lawrence to make up their damn minds already. But doing that isn't cheap. And Democrats have been struggling to find a way to pay for it that Joe Manchin and Kirsten Sinema both support. But now they finally have an idea that everyone is on board for. And that is requiring big corporations to pay a minimum tax of 15%, which means companies like Amazon would finally have to start paying federal taxes. And I know Amazon is gonna complain about it, but 15% isn't even that much. I mean, these giant companies are gonna be paying the same rates as the guy who hands out the shoes at the bowling alley, and I guarantee you, that guy doesn't have his own penis-shaped spaceship. And the thing about this plan that I find really interesting is that the taxes won't be on profits that the companies report to the IRS. No, it'll be on the profits that they report to shareholders because those are two very different numbers. You know, the the thing they tell the IRS is not what they tell the shareholders. It's like how people talk about sex differently with their dates versus how they talk about it around their mom. Yeah, on a date, you're like, (laughs) yeah, man, you know I do my thing, baby, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, you better hold on for dear life, man. And then, in front of your mom, you're like, I just haven't found time for sex. I've I've been spending too much time reading the Bible. Now, because of his previous positions, it might be surprising to hear that Joe Manchin is actually pro-raising taxes on corporations. But if his comments this morning are anything to go by, it looks like he's fully on board.
1: Everybody in this country that has been blessed and prospered should pay a patriotic tax. There should be a 15% patriotic tax. People in the stratosphere, rather than trying to penalize them, we ought to be pleased that this country is able to produce the wealth. But with that, there's a patriotic duty that you should be paying something to this great country to give you the protection and the support and the opportunities. That's called a patriot. Patriotic tax will be nothing that we should be scorned about. It doesn't harm anybody.
0: Ooh, a patriot tax. I see what you're doing, Joe Manch, trying to appeal to national pride. And I get why you're doing it, because a lot of people can be convinced to do things that they don't want to do if you just call it patriotic. Like, most people don't want their rectums inspected for three-ounce bottles of shampoo, but if you say it's part of the Patriot Act, then all of a sudden they'll be like, for this country, I will gladly spread my cheeks. (laughs) And I don't know if this is gonna convince corporations to be happy about having less money, but I do think Manchin is right. Paying taxes is patriotic. Part of loving your country is financially supporting your country. You can't say you love your child if you're sending all your money to some other kid who's in the Cayman Islands. Also, I love how Joe Manchin says it. It sort of sounds like a threat. He's like, it's patriotic, patriotic, and you pay your country to protect you, because it would be a shame if something (laughs) happens to your corporations. (laughs) (laughs) I just, I don't know if corporations are going to like, like corporations beat every lawmaker in America. I don't know if they'll, I don't know if they'll get them.
3: Well, the IRS was the only corporate, the IRS was the only government entity that could take down the mob. They got Al Capone, they got John Gotti. So it was like the FBI, the CIA, the DEA, the ATF. Nobody could get Al Capone. But then it's 1930-something, he's just like, ah, my W-2s. And so he's, and now he's in jail for, like, forever. So the IRS doesn't have, like, the gun power, but they can destroy your life because you didn't do enough deductions. So I never thought of it that way. The IRS is the most dangerous... Because I think it
0: would be, like, FBI, DEA. When they're knocking on the door, FBI! Yeah, but then you're like, IRS.
3: Right, because the whole point of doing crime and avoiding all paying on these taxes is to have the money. right? But the IRS is the only people that can roll in and be like, bitch, I'm taking all your money.
0: Actually, let's move on to our next story, which is out of Florida. The only state named after the rapper Flo Rida. Last month, the governor appointed a brand new Surgeon General. And if you don't know what that is, the Surgeon General leads the other surgeons into battle. right, and, no? Mm What, what, do you, what do you mean? They just, they just set out health policy? Well, that's a bit misleading. Why would, why would you put general? Oh, I'm the idiot? You need to choose better words. Now, since Florida has been hit so hard by COVID, you'd think, you'd think its surgeon general would be very aggressive about fighting it. But this surgeon general is the exact opposite. Like, he opposes vaccine and mask mandates. He's pushed for unproven treatments against COVID. And he won't even say if he himself is vaccinated, which is... Pretty weird thing for a doctor to be private about. Especially considering how many personal questions they ask us. Are you sexually active? Do you take drugs? How many drinks do you have a week? I don't know. Whatever number sounds cool, but doesn't make me sound like an alcoholic. And last week, this guy took it to a whole new level when he refused to wear a mask during a meeting with a state senator who had cancer. And listen to how he explained his reasoning.
3: Florida Surgeon General is defending his decision to not wear a mask during a meeting with a state senator who asked him to wear one because she's being treated for breast cancer. Dr. Joseph Lodopo declined to put on a mask after he was asked to before a meeting with State Senator Tina Polsky last
1: week. This is his public explanation in writing about why he would not wear a mask when you asked him to. He said, it is important to me to communicate clearly and effectively with people. I can't do that when
0: half of my face is covered. Okay, I'm sorry, but if you didn't want to wear a mask, why did you become a doctor? I mean, that's one of the only jobs where you're constantly wearing a mask. I know you weren't doing surgeries from six feet away, just throwing kidneys into the patients like a game of cornhole. You've worn a mask. You talk with the other people in the surgery. Like, you do the thing. Scalpel, please. You know, like, scalpel. And dude, this state senator is being treated for cancer. You're risking her life? Because you want to communicate more clearly? What are you trying to communicate? That you're an asshole? Because you're doing a great job. Like, when people say this, I don't even know what, what, what to make of it. I, no, I can't. I cannot communicate with you with a mask. I, like, I don't even understand the logic.
3: If Darth Vader could communicate through his mask, you can communicate through a piece of paper.
0: Luke, Luke, I am... Hold on, Luke, hold on. <laughs> ah,
3: I can't breathe. I don't understand this rationale. I don't understand why this uncle won't put this damn mask on. It's... I've been very confused about people like, I I just can't... Because he's worried about communicating clearly, but what he's going to communicate is germs and a virus to a woman who is being treated for cancer. He knows how that works. I just don't...
0: Okay, here's here's what I get with... Whenever somebody says to me, I can't communicate without my mask, I go like, so you, you never made a phone call? No. No, because they go like, people need to see my mouth for me to communicate. So you, when you a... phone people, what happens? You've never been in a drive-through? Drive-throughs are a bad example, though. Those people are terrible. Uh-uh, uh-uh. I, many times I've gotten to a drive-through and then I ask them for things and they just don't. I go, may I please, but also I, my accent, I'll say, can I please have a water? And they'll be like, you want a burger? I'm like, no, I said water, a burger. Say water again? Then I'll be like, I'll I'll have a burger as well.
3: Say water again. Water. Now put your hand over your mouth. Say it again. Water. Now go. Now say water. Water. At the same time. Water. Burger.
0: Mm. All right, all right, all right, let's move on to our final story. America has been through a tough couple of years, right? There was the pandemic, which is still going, the protests after George Floyd, uh, the uh, inflation that has started now, global supply shortages, and on top of all of that, Adele is dropping a new album. And we we can't handle it, Adele, we're already a wreck, all right? So it's not surprising that people are turning to anything they can to help them deal with all the stress. Netflix, binge eating, tricking kids into getting high on Halloween. But check out one of the ways that people are coping that I definitely did not see coming.
4: Cigarette sales on the rise for the first time in two decades. We haven't seen anything like this in 20 years. Smokeless tobacco, vaping sales also rose from 2019 to 2020. The thinking is during the pandemic, people kind of dealt with stress and boredom by Picking up smoking or resuming smoking?
0: Yeah, people, smoking is back. (laughs) 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 And look, man, I understand doing unhealthy stuff, but don't you think a pandemic is a weird time to take up smoking? Like you're starting, I mean, maybe that's the point. Maybe people are smoking because they hope it'll trick COVID. You know, like COVID will show up to their lungs and be like, wait, I must've been here already. Oh, all right, all right, let's wrap it up, boys. But I-, I guess this isn't surprising. Like, in the last year, we learned that a huge percentage of Americans will do the opposite of what doctors say, right? Doctors are like, vaccines are safe. They're like, I'm not gonna take it. Cigarettes cause cancer. Pass me a Marlboro. Stick out your tongue and say, ah, I'm gonna keep my mouth closed and say... <laughs> I just, I don't get it. This is a weird time to start smoking. I don't understand. Why would, you, why would smoking go up now?
3: Listen it's one they're thinking that people do it out of boredom that can't be it it's whenever there is an economic like the stress uh-huh alcohol and tobacco sales always go up like oh, if you look okay. like a trend like whenever there's like a recession or like a bad economic I don't time get
0: the, i don't yeah but the smoking i don't
3: i don't get because it's it's you you get to the point where you're so like people have always been told that like smoking can be a stress reliever right Oh, So it's like, okay, I'm scared, I'm freaked out. And You just get to a certain point where you're just like, if it's gonna kill, let's see which one kills me first. Okay, okay. So it is like a bit of a stress reliever. Also, a lot of people were home together, making people, practicing making people. So I think if we find out if the numbers of sexy time went up, some people didn't want to have a cigarette after the sexy time.
0: Wait, wait, hold on, hold on. You're saying to me people are smoking more because people are having sex more?
3: That sounds right. You never seen somebody like having like a, you know, a nice cigarette after some sexy times? You know, you've seen, I don't know if they do that. Where you from?
0: They don't, that wasn't in movies? I've seen it in the movies.
3: Yeah. People
0: do that in real life?
3: Sometimes, I mean, sometimes during. Sometimes this man's just like,
0: (sighs) he'll be done soon. If somebody started smoking (laughs) while I was having sex with them, (laughs) that would be the most demoralizing thing I could (laughs) ever imagine.
3: You haven't had very bad sex then (laughs) with a man. (laughs) Because sometimes you're like, oh, I can't see the TV. I wish I had a magazine. It was my birthday. Like, it's just sometimes you just have to... (sighs) just wait for it to be done. Well. (laughs) There
0: are some people who are going to watch this show and they're going to be like, she's not talking about me, Oh, he
3: knows who I'm talking about. And he bet not, yeah, you married now. I'm not, no, not you, the other there's, there could be some confusion. You know what, if you think I'm talking about you, DM me and I'll be glad to tell you that you were trash. Trevor? All right, we're gonna take
0: a quick break so that Dulce can check her DMs, but when we come back, Desi Lydic will go bounty hunting. You don't wanna miss it. Welcome back to The Daily Show. Abortion is a constitutional right in America, but the state of Texas has a new strategy to ban abortion anyway. Desi Lydic went to find out how
4: it's going for them. Last spring, the Texas legislature passed SB8, a law that takes abortion rights in Texas out behind the barn. Protest over what is now the most restrictive abortion law in the country. It forbids abortion in Texas after cardiac activity is detected, typically around six weeks before many women know they're pregnant. Harsh, but not surprising. When it comes to restricting abortions, Texas gone to Texas. But what's different about SB8 is how it tries to enforce its ban on abortion. I talked to Nancy Northup of the Center for Reproductive Rights for more. Exactly how up on the up meter is this law? Are we talking like this up? It is preventing about 85% of abortion patients being able to get access in the state of Texas by creating a legal scheme that has been very hard to challenge in court. It's outrageous. That is up. It is a massive violation of constitutional rights, yes. According to Nancy, the genius of this law lies in how it lets the state of Texas put its hands all over women's health without leaving any fingerprints. This is a law that is designed to not be enforced so that it cannot be challenged in court. What Texas has done is said, okay, we're going to make citizens vigilantes who can go after a $10,000 or more bounty by suing a provider, someone who works at a clinic, a friend who drives you to the clinic, somebody who maybe loans you money for your procedure. It's a law designed so that the state of Texas is not going to enforce it, so that we can't go into court and sue the state of Texas. An unconstitutional law that can't be ruled unconstitutional? Genius. What kind of brilliant legal mind could have come up with an idea to crowdsource the war on women?
5: My name is Mark Lee Dixon, and I'm a director with the Right to Life of East Texas.
4: Mark is one of the pioneers of using civic enforcement, AKA vigilantes, to restrict abortion rights.
5: So before, when abortion ban would be about to go into effect, Uh, what would happen is a, a judge would stop that law. And some have realized that the private enforcement mechanism is the best option that we have to really make a difference in the the overall picture of abortion legislation.
4: So you're basically admitting that this law was designed to go around our constitutional legal system.
5: Well, I mean, the courts have said many things over the the years that have not really lined up with, with what we know is true.
4: It feels like you are wanting to go back in time a little bit, like this is the Wild West, except instead of carrying around six shooters, people have lawyers, you know? Is that the goal here?
5: Everyone loves Batman, right? Uh, No one's complaining about having a costume vigilante known as Batman getting the job done. And so why are people against private citizens to get the job done?
4: Explaining comic books to women while also restricting their rights, this guy must be getting laid 24-7.
5: So I am a 36-year-old virgin.
4: Ah, Okay, okay. It's all coming together now. So let me get this straight. You're not a lawyer, nor a woman, nor do you have kids or have you ever been in a situation where you might have kids and yet you are the person to help design laws to restrict women's reproductive rights. It seems like you're Kind of literally the last person who should be designing this law.
5: I don't feel that way.
4: I mean, I almost can't think of anyone less qualified to do this. Maybe a cat. Unlike his virginity, Mark didn't have to wait long for his law to go into action.
5: A lawsuit has been filed against San Antonio doctor Alan Brait, who is being sued by Oscar
4: Stille. That's right, Oscar Stille, the first man to file suit against Texas abortion providers under SB8. And I was ready to go face to screen to find out why this anti-abortion radical was so dedicated to restricting women's rights.
1: I'm just not, I'm not anti-choice. What? I'm, I'm not hostile to to a person who needs an abortion for, for whatever reason.
4: I, I'm confused, why, why are you doing this then?
1: I care, care about having a government that doesn't use deceitful tricks to try to hide out their brand new law from people who want it tested in the courts. I've created a situation so you have uh, a vigorously represented side of both sides of the case. You, you have a, a plaintiff and you have a defendant.
4: Since the main purpose of SB8 is to have the mere threat of legal action deter abortion providers, Oscar was trying to force the issue by bringing a suit that would lead to a clear ruling. He was vigilanteing the vigilantes. But he had his own reasons, too.
1: I'm in the custody of the uh, Department of Justice Federal Bureau of Prisons Home Confinement. What? I have an ankle bracelet. It's right here. Can you see that?
4: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So hold on. How did, you, how did you wind up on home confinement?
1: I got crossways with the tax division of the United States Department of Justice.
4: Oscar, I'm picking up on you having a bit of an issue with authority. Is this just an excuse to kind of mess with the system?
1: Yes. If this law stands, anybody who is attacking a constitutional right will do it the same way that the Texas legislature did it. Doesn't matter if it's guns, free speech, anything else. You just deputize the whole world to go attack the people you don't agree with, and you never allow a court to issue a ruling.
4: Okay, okay, so hands off my taxes, hands off my guns, hands off my uterus.
1: That's right, and nobody's gonna fight harder than Oscar. Oscar's gonna throw down.
4: Ah, Desi gets it now. Oscar and Desi might agree, but the future of abortion rights in Texas is highly uncertain. In September, the Justice Department sued the state over the constitutionality of SBA, which will eventually lead to a Supreme Court ruling. Oscar Stilley has added himself to that suit as well, as a plaintiff. I never thought I would say this, but for a disgraced tax fraudster under house arrest, you may not be the hero that we want, but you might just be the hero we deserve. Thank
1: you. Sometimes those things happen.
0: Thank you so much, Desi. All right, when we come back, star of the Hit Netflix show Luis Miguel, Diego Bonetta will be joining me right here. So don't go away. Welcome back to the Daily Show. My guest tonight is actor and producer Diego Bonetta. He's here to talk about the final season of his Hit Netflix series, Luis Miguel. Diego, welcome to the show. Thank you. Great Spanish pronunciation, by the way. I'm, I'm trying, man. I'm trying. It was, it was
2: pretty damn good. It,
0: you know what's, <laughs> what's interesting for me is because I never learned Spanish growing up. Because like it's n- none of the languages that are in Africa, they're not related to any, to to it anything. I've had to learn some of the pronunciations and where some of the words go. But shows like this actually help me. Yeah. <laughs> no, seriously. I so I'll watch the show, and then what I do is I don't watch it in English. I watch it in Spanish with the English with the subtitles. subtitles. Yeah.
2: That's, that's the way to do it. I, mean, I think it's the most fun. Yes, yes, and I think people don't care anymore of, no. about the language, it's just the best content wins. Best content, best story, you know? and that's
0: what you've been doing. Congratulations, welcome to the show. Uh, thank you. You yes. know, you are one of those talents who I feel has blown up in one part of the world, and slowly that explosion is spreading around. You know, everywhere, everywhere around the planet, your name is slowly spreading, not just as an actor, not just as a producer, but also as a singing talent as well. <laughs> In this, in, this, in this show, we get to see you showcasing all of those talents, you know, you, you grew up singing, you've yeah. grown up as a performer, but did you ever think that you were going to be portraying, arguably, mm-hmm. the
2: greatest artist of all time? No, Trevor, I mean, it's, it's kind of crazy because I started my career when I was 11 years old uh, in the singing reality show, and uh, the producers randomly chose a, a Luis Miguel song. Right. Uh, when I was 11. And then I never thought that 16 years later I was going to be playing him. So it came around full circle. It's never happened to me like that before. Right. And this show changed my life, man. You know, we, season one, we had no idea if it was going to do well or not. It was mm-hmm, a huge mm-hmm. risk. You know, he's still alive, very relevant. Um, a show in Spanish. And it's, I feel, the timing, uh, the quality of the show, the team behind it. It's the same team that did. All three seasons the same director the same writer right okay which is which is cool and that doesn't normally happen and they invited me to to produce the show it was the first time I ever produced and it was amazing to be a part of that team and now five years later you know this chapters come to an end it's definitely bittersweet but you know I'm very thankful because this show changed my life this show wasn't an easy show to make because, like,
0: just take a moment and explain to people who who don't understand, maybe like, who is Luis Miguel? Like, like, what makes him who he is, and what why is that name revered
2: across so many parts of the globe, especially Latin America? Yeah, I'd say that the best way to describe him is like Elvis Presley meets Frank Sinatra. Hmm. Um, he started off kind of like in the Elvis Presley, you know, with the hair and the music, and then kind of became like the crooner and suits and stuff, and. Even Sinatra said that he was one of the best voices that he'd ever heard. Right. His, his music, his, his shows, you know, he's one of those Latin performers where it's just him. There's no dancers, there's nothing. It's just him and his voice. And he's been doing that for a long time. What's, what's really interesting about him as well is he,
0: he's pretty reclusive. You know, like, yeah. he doesn't give interviews. You barely see him in the press. He, he's an yeah. enigma, and yeah. yet, You got access to him. When you met him, what did you feel from him that maybe people didn't know about him from the outside?
2: You know, it was was, was cool because we both talked about how normally when biopics are done, it's once the artist is, you know, has passed. Right. And we we, we wanted uh, to take advantage of that. And, and, um... You know, he shared some stories and anecdotes and he was like, Diego, I, this is just for you. I don't want this to be on the show. This is just for you to kind of Oh,
0: just to understand him. To
2: to to understand and know where it's coming from and I, I really appreciated that. And it kind of, you know, um developed this, you know, we we developed this 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 friendship of like kind of knowing that secret. You know, like like we, we we were the only ones who like knew that secret. That's really cool. Which was which was really cool and I really admired the fact that he was um you know, he he had the courage to talk about Mm -hmm, his life mm -hmm. and not only the good parts, but the dark times as well. Season three, it's, you know, we we, kind of wanted it, you know, we were inspired by Raging Bull of, you know, showing him at his peak Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. him at his lowest, Mm. which is something that in biopics, you know, there's a lot of biopics that don't show the dark side or the lowest low of these artists. And I I really admired that, you know, because I think that Humanizes him, especially someone who's always been seen as, you know, a, a god yeah, almost unattainable. Yeah. And now people can empathize with him, and, and my job was to humanize him
0: throughout these three seasons. I think you've done a great job of that. I'll tell you what I was most impressed by is I didn't know that you were singing. How long does it take you to get that voice? How,
2: how much did you have to work? Because you could sing before, but I mean... Yeah, but I didn't have Luis Miguel's voice. If not, I'd be a singer, Trevor. trust <laughs> me. <laughs> I, I wouldn't be an actor. Um, I, I took a year off to just prep for the part. I went uh, with my vocal coach, who uh, also uh, taught the whole cast for Rock of Ages, you know, the musical I did with yes, Tom right, Cruise back in right the right. day. And I went to Ron, and I was like, Ron, I need to sound like Luis Miguel. And he was like, buddy, I've never had to do this in my life to train a singer to sound like another singer. And I was kind of learning how to sing uh, again, you know, from changing your placement, vowels, vibrato. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. It was an experiment to see how close we could get. And uh, it all started, um, you know, I sat down with Jamie Foxx and I'm a big Ray fan and I'm a big fan of his work. And I said, Jamie, what tips do you have? And he right, was like, right. man. And he's a must
0: at it. I mean,
2: one of the most talented, yeah. he's yeah. insane. And he knew perfectly who Luis Miguel was. He was like, man, Mickey has some pipes. He was like, Diego, do everything. Sing, recreate every music video. Even if, if there's a picture on set that you can that have, there can't be a single reference of the real Luis Miguel on the show. It comes across, um, as you say,
0: it's, it's the end of a chapter, it's and I think it's, it's only upwards for you. I'd love to know what you hope to achieve now. Like, wh- wh- where's Diego aiming? What are, you, what are you looking to create? What are you looking to do now that you have producer
2: and actor under your belt? You know, my dream is to change the way the world sees Latinos. You know, I think that most stories, you know, uh, you see the narcos, you see the border yeah. crossing, and, man, we're more than that. You know, and just adding perspective and now being able to be on the, on the producing side, which I never thought that this show would launch my producing career. Right. It's like I'm working with my sister right now, uh, which is great. And it's like, what stories can we tell in the most authentic way with great filmmakers that will open that perspective of how the world sees us? I love that. Before I let you go, there's one thing
0: that's bound to bring conflict into your life. And I've always wanted to know the answer to this. You are... American, you are Spanish, you are Mexican. You hold all of these nationalities. And so I would like to know when you are watching a football game, oh, soccer for good. Americans, who do you support?
2: Mexico first.
0: Mexico first?
2: Yeah, Mexico first. I like
0: this. Well, yeah.
2: Good luck, my friend, for the World
0: Cup, and thank you so much for being on the show. <laughs> thank you for really having Really appreciate you. having you here. No, no,
2: no, it's a pleasure. Season three of Luis
0: Miguel, the series, will be available October 28th on Netflix. We're gonna take a quick break, but we'll be right back after this. All right, everybody, well, that's our show for tonight, but before we go, when it comes to abortion, there's no choice if there is no access. Texas Equal Access Fund is working to end barriers to abortion access while simultaneously providing emotional and financial support to people who are seeking abortion care. If you want to support them in their work, then please donate at the link below. Until tomorrow, stay safe out there, get your vaccine, and remember, if you're stressed out, don't resort to smoking cigarettes. Just take some of your kids' Halloween weed. Watch The Daily Show weeknights at 11, 10 Central on Comedy Central. And stream full episodes anytime on Paramount+. Plus.
4: This has been a Comedy Central podcast.